Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We really believe the next 35 minutes will help you. We pray God speaks to you through this week's message. Over the last uh, four to five months, um, probably would be about four to five months, we have been uh, speaking on and off about the kingdom of God. And it wasn't meant to be a theme. I remember when somebody said, I love the theme that you're going through at the moment. I said, what's the theme? You know, like I wasn't even really aware of it myself, but we've been speaking about the kingdom of God. And uh, so, you know, we've been speaking about that for four to five months. It's the theme for our year is your kingdom come. And so, you know, we want to see God's kingdom come. We want to see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And over the last, oh, you know, four to five months, we've been speaking to uh, the church a lot about what God is wanting to do in your life. I mean, a lot of the messages that we've been speaking about have been specifically focused uh, on what God wants to do with your life and, and, and about your calling. It's about having, if, if you listen back over the messages, one of the things that you'll hear repeated over and over again is this theme of your identity being in Christ. You know, I think that's such an important part of church is that we talk about people's identity being found in Christ last four or five months, you'd be forgiven maybe a little bit for thinking that this life is about you. Today, I'm going to change tact a little bit. And actually, the reason that God has uh, saved you and set you apart and, and sanctified you is because He wanted to do something with your life. You know what I honestly think? I think oftentimes our lives are not about us. They're actually about affecting other people. And so today I want to talk about kingdom community. So this is the last message on our series uh, for your kingdom come. But again, this is the theme for the year. So it's going to keep going right throughout the year. So with that in mind, I want to look at a scripture today. And this is Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 to 19. This is what it says. It says, And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Something powerful happens when God's people come together. Something powerful happens when God's people come together. It just does. You know, and sometimes it's because we get together and we just pray together and we see the Spirit of God move. But I think that when God's people come together, something incredible happens. And Jesus made a promise and His promise was to, not to Peter, but to His community. Do you find it really interesting in the Scripture that we just read that He's in the middle of a conversation with Peter and He refers to something that currently doesn't exist? He refers to something called the church. But the word uh, uh, really is, is ecclesia, as you would probably know, and many of you would know this. And ecclesia means the community of both heaven and earth. It's God's community of both heaven and earth. That means that it includes the angels, it includes His people. And so He made a promise, not to Peter, not to the individual that He was speaking with at the time, but He made a promise to a community of people. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I think that there is something about that phrase that he used that sort of indicated to me that what God's plan is, Jesus' plan is, is that we should do this journey together, that we should do this life together. Because the truth is, 
And this isn't hard for you to understand. Many of you already know this. The truth is there are times in life where dark forces, they seem to come against you. I mean, you think about the phrase that uh, Jesus used there, where the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Uh, You think about the gates of hell prevailing. I mean, I think that means sickness and disease uh, destroying godly people or just destroying people in general. I think it means all kinds of things. I think it means depression. I think it means forcing people into isolation. I think that when the gates of hell begin to prevail against people, horrible things happen. But Jesus made a promise to His community of people and He said, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against my community. In fact, it was a promise that what would prevail over the gates of hell would be power. That there would be a power that would come against the gates of hell so that when things begin to happen in this world that we know are not right, He made a promise that that God's people, His eclectic community, that we would begin to prevail against it. Last week we uh, spoke about the Scriptures, probably my favourite Scripture, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So we talk about seeking first the kingdom. Can you imagine trying to seek first the kingdom of God on your own? Try to do the kingdom on your own. See how you go. Just try to do the kingdom without other people and see how you go. If you met a person and they said to you, I'm a king, and Jesus aside, but they said, I'm a king, and you said, okay, well, where's your subjects? Well, I don't have any. Well, where's your people? Well, I don't have any of those either. Well, where's your castle? Well, I don't have any of those. Well, where's the community that surround your kingdom? Well, I don't have any of that. If somebody told you that they were a king and they were still living in their parents' basement, you know, you'd say, listen, you're not a king. Like, just take a look at your surroundings. Take a look at your life. You know, you're not a king. If you're a king, you're surrounded by a community. The kingdom of God involves people. It can't be just done on your own. And you couldn't even seek first the kingdom of God without bumping into another person. It's just part of what we do. We're just supposed to do life together. So here's what you need to know. I want you to know this straight up from this morning. God's plan for your life will always include other people. God's plan for your life, for you, will always include other people. Every time. And I'll tell you why that's so important. If you're isolated, you're not living God's plan for your life. And if you are isolated today, that is not condemnation. And the last thing I would want you to feel at this moment would be guilt of of any kind. But you have got to know that God's plan for you is not to do life alone. You have got to realise that, that it's not His plan for us to be isolated on our own little islands, worshipping Him, but never interacting with other people. That's not what God's plan is. In fact, if you were to go through the Scriptures and read the Word of God over and over again, when would you ever find the story of a person who fulfilled their calling in life and it didn't involve anyone else? Never happened. It always involves other people. It always involves other people. So you could sort of think that, you know, this is all about you when we say His kingdom come and God has saved you and justified you and sanctified you and you've got to find your calling in life and find what God's called you to do. But the truth is, is that all of that stuff is not really about you. It is and it isn't at the same time. 
In fact, this is really, when it comes to the issue of calling, here's something that's true. Calling is often found in a community. Your calling is often found in a community. This is what the scriptures say in Proverbs. It says that whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. If you ever see somebody that just wants to live isolated, they don't want to listen to anything that you say, they're the kind of person that wants to take their own counsel. And you know, I always say that a person who's not teachable, you just can't help them. There's nothing you can do for a person that's not teachable. A point in case, I'm sitting trying to feed my baby girl. She's six months old and she's hungry and she's crying. I'm telling her to eat the food that I'm putting into her mouth. But she won't listen because she's unteachable. She wants to rub snot all over her face. She's not interested in what I have to say. I said, sweetheart, you will stop crying if you start eating the food that I give you. She's just interested in rubbing that food all over her face. So we get to the end. She's still hungry, but now she's covering food. She's just unteachable. I don't know what I'm going to do with her. Maybe when she understands me, she'll be different. But the truth is, you just can't help a person who doesn't want to learn. Man, it is such a dangerous thing for people to become to, and start to live isolated lives and begin to counsel themselves. You already had your perspective when you began. I don't know what you're hoping to find in counseling yourself. You began with perspective. I'm not saying that sometimes it's not good to get away and maybe just think through things and pray through things. But the truth is, there is so much benefit in life to having someone come, put their arm around you and begin to speak life into you. Last night, I was at Cole's Shopping Centre and there's a coffee shop close to home. And uh, I know everyone by name there. They know me well too because I go there so often. And, and so this guy came up behind me and he said to me, hey, how you doing? And I turned around, we got into a conversation and I, I speak to this guy on a weekly basis for months and months. And so we began to talk about things and I knew that he sort of went to church. So I said to him, I said, oh, so you, are you off to church in the morning tomorrow? And he said to me, look, church is kind of a really hard thing for me at the moment. I said, oh, okay, why is that? He said, oh, well, you know, sometimes I work late at night and then I find it hard to sort of get up in the morning and it's just hard to get up and go to, go to church sometimes. I said, well, is that really all it is or is there something just a little bit deeper? He said, no, it is deeper. He said, the truth is, is that I came from a, another church, a, a large church where I worked really hard. And the truth is, he was, trying, he was trying to tell me is that he was just burned out. And I, as I began to speak to him, and that's true, it just happens sometimes. People can serve so much that they get tired, they get worn out, they get burned out. And this is where this guy was. And so I, his solution to the problem of burnout was to withdraw from church completely altogether. And I spoke to him and I said, hey, listen, um, I'm not so sure that it's a good idea to withdraw from church altogether. If you can't, you know, make it in. He, he said, by the way, that he understood that. But sometimes he just couldn't fight. He couldn't help the way that he feels, you know. And sometimes that's true because there's a war inside of us. And we know we shouldn't live isolated lives. But sometimes, you know, for some people, they just struggle to be in a room full of people and engage in life. You know, I just don't think that that's God's plan. And we were speaking about it. I said, hey, listen. I said, we're having some great things happen at our church on a Sunday night. Lots of youth and young adults there. You know, last week, by the way, we had 90 people, which is unbelievable, you know. So, so I said, hey, you should come down to church. And he said, oh, he said, well, what's the church like? I said, well, it's great. 
He says, oh, Activate Church, you guys were in Ringwood, right? I said, yeah, we, we moved from Ringwood to Lewis Road in one turner. He goes, oh, fantastic. He said, well, do you know what it's going to be about? I said, yeah, I'm preaching tomorrow. He says, do you preach? I said, yes, Sarah and I are the senior pastors of the church. He said, what? He said, I never knew that this whole time. He could have just blew his mind. He had no idea. All we're talking about is just doing life together. We're talking, I ask him about his life all the time. I'm just building relationship with this guy for no reason other than I'm just being myself, you know. And then it sort of freaked him out. He said, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll come down and check it out. The truth is, is that sometimes people, they know that isolation isn't the right thing, but there's a war inside of them that they fight and they just have to, my my suggestion to people that are feeling like that is find a space where you can trust people. Find a community of people that can get around you. It's so difficult to do life on your own. Sometimes you need someone to speak words of life into you. Because I'm thinking about this guy that I'm meeting last night. You know what I'm thinking? Who's speaking words of life into him? When does he ever get his perspective corrected in life? And I'm not talking about correction. I mean that he sees things not the way that they are. And when does someone come into his life and encourage him and say, you know what, that's not the way to live. You're better than that. God's got bigger plans for you. You're supposed to do life with people so that you can encourage people and speak to them about all the things that God wants to do in your life. Because the truth is, you may be justified. You may be sanctified. God may have done all these wonderful things in your life, but if you live in life on your own, that's not great. It's just not the way that God has designed you and created you. I want to tell you about a day in Cyprus that that just illustrates how important it is to have community around you. You'll understand that in a moment. So this is our scripture from Acts. Acts chapter 13. I want you to notice at the beginning that it says Barnabas and Saul on Cyprus. I want you to notice that. It says, so being Sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salmias, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul. There it is again, Barnabas and Saul, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elmaeus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, as you would, when he saw what had occurred. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Acts 13 verses 4 to 12. I want to tell you in that passage, there are a couple of things that happened. The first thing is what happened. Well, it was an absolute miracle. It was an absolute miracle. You know, this, this, here's Barnabas and Saul and they're speaking to someone trying to teach them about the Word of God. And another man comes along, uh, this, this magician, and starts trying to mess everything up. 
And so Saul turns and looks directly at him and begins to speak and then he can't see anything. The man goes blind and he has to get other people to help him. That was what happened. It was in that moment that there is a transition and you'll see this in the Scriptures where Saul becomes Paul. Now the thing is, is that he said that his name was Saul and he was also Paul because the truth is Saul was always Paul. Saul was always Paul because Paul was his Roman name and Saul was his Jewish name. If you read the book of Acts, you'll know that Paul was, had Roman citizenship. So he was always both at the same time. But do you understand what I mean when I say to you this morning that there was a moment when Saul became Paul? Because from that moment on, something happened in that moment where they no longer refer to him as Saul and they start to call him Paul. And in addition to that, there's the reversal. And from that point forwards, he's no longer Barnabas and Saul, but it's Paul and Barnabas. Why the shift? Because something supernatural take place. Something supernatural happened in that moment. Paul began to step into the person that he was always destined to be, but it was only fully realised. Now that's what happened. How it happened is amazing. How it happened was one day Saul was um, on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. A bright line, a bright shining light sort of makes him fall to the ground and he hears a voice and it's Jesus and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, my Lord? He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. So he, so Jesus speaks to him. He says, listen, when you get to the city where you're going, you're going to be blind. So Paul goes blind. He can't see anything for a period of time. So when he gets to the city, he's there, he's blind. He's got a few days to think about his life, you know. The father comes and he speaks to another man. A man named Ananias, and he says to Ananias, Hey, would you go and speak to this man, Paul, who's also Saul, and I want you to, I want you to pray for him, and he's going to receive his sight, and I want you to prophesy. So, so the man goes and he begins to speak to uh, Saul, and immediately it says, like, scales fell off Saul's eyes. He began to see. I think when it says he began to see, it wasn't just talking about physically, but spiritually, things became very clear. Things became very clear to Saul in that moment. I don't know where Paul would be today, but I know that he wrote a lot of the New Testament, many of the books that we read. And I don't know where he'd be today if the man, if the man that was sent by the Father, if the man Ananias hadn't gone and was obedient and prayed for him. But the story continues. Do you know that the next day, Paul, also known as Saul, began to get out and preach the good news and began to preach the gospel. So the Jews, uh, the Jewish leaders at the time, they decide we're going to turn on him. Let's kill him now. So he has to get out of the city. So when he goes and gets out of the city, where does he go? Because if you read the Scriptures, it kind of moves from one verse to the next and you'll have no idea what really took place in that time. But if you read the book of Galatians, this is what it says. But when he, this is Paul saying this, he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I may preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, who was Peter, and remained with him 15 days. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. 
When we read that scripture, we've realised that Paul didn't immediately leave from where he is, get this revelation from God, walk instantly into the apostles and begin to speak to them. Something happened. There's a period of time there where Paul began to get connected to a community where Paul began to sit under the teaching of other people, where Paul began to listen, where some of the rough edges of Paul were knocked off so at least he would be palatable in public settings because that is the kind of person that he was. And then after all that time, he comes back and he speaks to the apostles. And it says, if you read the Scriptures, we don't have time for it today, but if you read the Scriptures, it says the apostles were concerned about him. Who's this guy? Is he here to kill us? We don't know. But it says Barnabas took him to see the apostles. You know why? Because Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. He was an encourager. He got around people. He brought them before the apostles. Do you know that just a few chapters later, Barnabas and Saul, or Barnabas and Paul, were released to go and fulfill their calling by going and preaching to to the Gentiles. Barnabas gets around him. The apostles get around him. The man who was sent to pray for him got around him. How many of us realise that it wasn't for all the people in Paul's life that Paul may not be where he was by the end of his life? I don't think we'd read the stories the same way. God is sovereign, but if you understand anything about God's sovereignty, it's that He uses people to accomplish His will in your life. He used Barnabas. He used the apostles. He used other teachers when Paul went away for 14 years. He used Ananias to come and pray for him. God fulfills His will in your life and helps you to find your calling by using other people. Do you see how difficult it would be for Paul to go and live his life? He may have been called. He may have been set apart by birth. But if he didn't get around other people, he would never have the platform. He would never be corrected. He'd never be taught. He would never have been the the Paul that we know today. It just continually illustrates to me, if you want to be developed in life, if you want to move forwards in life, you just can't do it in isolation. And everyone has this story. This is my story too. There was such a period of time in my life where I just wasn't interested in going to church, didn't want anything to do with God. I was offended with God because He could have healed me and He didn't when I was a child. So I didn't want anything to do with Him. But you know what? My parents kept praying for me. I remember the conversation with my nan when we were in Churnside Park food court and she began to speak over me and it revolutionised the way that I look at grace. I remember that day so clearly. I remember meeting my uncle in church for the first time when he looked at me and said, what are you doing? here. I remember him getting around me. He was my Barnabas. He was my encourager. You see, it wasn't just one person that got around me, but it was multiple people. I remember joining a life group and being involved in a life group where people began to speak into my life and speak over me. I remember meeting Pastor Corey for the first time. I remember the time he said, would you like to step onto staff and quit your job? The truth is, is that I wouldn't be where I am and you wouldn't be where you are today if it wasn't for people speaking into your life. My point is simply this, you cannot live out your calling or find it in isolation. In community is where your calling is not only found, but where it's honed and released. If you ever see someone all the way out on their own and they talk about the call of God, but they're not connected to community, what happens? You're afraid of them. I'm like, who are you? You don't speak to anyone. You just exist on your own, all the way out there on your own. 
I'm always cautious of people that aren't connected to a church or a community because I just don't know who holds them accountable. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they belong or if people are even able to be around them, you know. Being part of a community is so important for the next season of your life. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, I will build my church, not your ministry. That was his phrase. I will build my church. I'm going to build my church. And when he decided that he'd build his church, he's building it on the revelation in that scripture we read at the beginning. He's building it on the revelation of who Jesus is. And that is what our community must center around, the revelation of who Jesus is. And if you understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you, then by implication, you start to understand more about who you actually are. And Jesus gets this community. He builds his church. And then these are the people that he looks to to change the world. It's his community. It's the, that's what the church is. It's the community of both heaven and earth. And he's looking to us, to his community, to be the same people that change the world. So his job, his job, is to build a church. What's our job? To seek the kingdom. Our job is to begin to release the kingdom in people's lives. That's why in the scripture that we read, he gave Peter keys. Keys are positional authority in the kingdom to begin to release heaven over people's lives. So when we see things that shouldn't be done, when we, when, when we see things that are wrong and they're not right in this life and we look into heaven and we say, it's not there, I don't want to see it down here, we begin to release heaven into people's lives. You're supposed to release heaven into other people's lives. That's what you're supposed to do. And this is what I've understood to be true. As we establish the Father's will on earth, the community of God expands. The community expands. In fact, when we talk talk about community, that's what the mandate was to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He says, you know what? Be fruitful and multiply. The, the, The command to us was to be fruitful, to multiply and to extend dominion over the earth. And as Adam and Eve would have children, as they would have, you know, babies, they would expand the community and the community would continue to roll out God's authority on earth. I read a book um, just recently by Gilbert. I've said this name. So, uh, do you know what? I want to tell you, I practiced this last name four times before today. Bilitsikian. You can't see it anyway, so who cares? (laughs) This is what he said. He said, we were given domestic and dominion mandates. And here's the point. Domestically, we did fine. We covered the globe and we populated the earth. But you know, the truth is when it came to dominion, we didn't pass that on to the next generation. Our, our, Our grandparents didn't pass it on to us. Do you understand that God's dominion can actually leave a generation if it's not taught to them? You understand that God's dominion can leave a generation. Do you know that Cain and Abel, they never knew what it was like to have uninhibited access to the Father. They never understood that. Their parents did, but they never knew that. They never knew what it was like to go straight to God, to to be in His presence. They didn't understand that. And thank God that by grace and faith, dominion was restored. But now something is supposed to happen and we're supposed to teach dominion to the next generation. Domestically, human beings are doing fine. We keep having babies, especially in this church. We keep having babies. We keep populating the globe. But when it comes to the area of dominion, that's what we need to pass to the next generation. 
This is what Psalm 145 says. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. That is what we're supposed to do. And if you look at everything that scripture says, is that not the great commission? Is that not the great commission? That we would sing aloud of his greatness? That we would talk about what he's done for us? That we would pour forth his fame? Is this, not in, is this not the Great Commission right here that we would pass something on to the next generation? Do you know that what we're supposed to be doing with every subsequent generation is making more disciples? And as we make more disciples, we establish the kingdom of God across the globe. Do you know how the kingdom continues to expand and its increase? We make more disciples. And the more people there are that believe in Jesus and bring His kingdom to earth, the more we begin to establish His will on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to generationally just continue to establish it year after year, generation after generation. In Acts chapter 2, the kingdom came to power with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And when that happened, do you know what? God's community expanded by 3,000 people in one day. We call that revival. It expanded in one day. It's the outpouring of God's Spirit. God wants to expand His community. See, this is one thing that's supposed to mark disciples. Disciples are supposed to pass power and dominion to the next generation. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to teach people how to do this life. None of the stuff that I'm talking about today, none of this can you do in isolation. The Great Commission, I mean, literally, it infers that you cannot do this on your own. If you're going to make disciples, you're going to have to bump into another person somewhere eventually. I'm not aware, and you can correct me later if I'm wrong, but I'm not aware in any instance in the Bible where Jesus said, okay, but if you're really busy or if you really don't feel like it, you don't need to make disciples. I thought that the Great Commission was not a suggestion. I thought the Great Commission was actually a mandate to the people that follow Jesus. And this is what He said, go into the world and make disciples, make people who continue to follow Me, pass on power, pass on dominion, pass on authority, teach people how to do all of these things. If you, I mean, here's something that's really important to remember. The community will always outlast the individual. I mean, I, I'm, I'm 33. I will be lucky if I live another 70 years. But when I am dead and buried, what we do now lives on. The community is always bigger than the individual. Always. That's why I think God was so interested in making an investment into His community. That's why I want to pass something on to my children. You know, what did Jesus say to us? He actually said that this is how you'll know my disciples, by how they love one another. When you're a disciple, you're supposed to love other people. Can you love another person in isolation? No, you can't do it. Life is supposed to be done in community. Life is supposed to be done with other people. It's what God has actually called us to. To be recognized as a follower, to be honest, I think you need to be in a community. 
I think it's something that we're supposed to do. There's got to be a way that we can sort of be recognised as a community. How would we even, how would we know that community when we saw it? What would it look like? Do you know what it would look like? It would exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and, and, and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. These are the things that would evidence. You know what a, a kingdom community would look like? It would look like if someone's in need, we reach out to them. It would look like if someone feels isolated, we put our arm around them. It would look like if someone is struggling through life, we help them, we assist them. It would look like love. That's what a kingdom community is supposed to be centered around. It's supposed to be centered around what, who Jesus is, what He's done for us by implication, who we are, and then we go out and we, keep, we just keep loving. We just keep doing it. We keep investing into people. Do you know that our mission, as I bring this to a close, our mission at Activate Church is actually to create a community of faith who love people, make, equip, and send disciples of Jesus Christ. We've always, we just want to make a community of people. We want to build a community of faith and, and, and love people. But then we want to make, equip, and send disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we've got to be about. That's what we're supposed to do. So here's what you need to do today. You need to get connected. I know people avoid it because it takes more time out of your week. Could I suggest to you that maybe you just reprioritize your time because it's too important not to? You're supposed to be connected. You're supposed, not supposed to do life in isolation. You're not supposed to be out there on your own. Do you know it's so easy for people to come to church and be on their own? Do you know it's so easy to be in a room full of people and still be on your own, isn't it? No one knows what you're thinking. And no one knows how you're feeling. You can be surrounded by people all the time and still be on your own. I'm suggesting to you today that it's not God's plan for you. It's not what God wants to do in your life. There's something bigger than that for you. There's something greater than that for you. You're supposed to make an investment into other people. You're supposed to be connected. You're supposed to unlock the kingdom of God in people's life. And do you know why it's so important that we do this? So that everything that we work for, everything that in this generation we do, the roof of this generation becomes the floor for the people that are coming after us. We build a community that's strong, but your kids and my kids get to live in it. And the kids, my grandkids that I'll never see, they get to live in this too. We're building something bigger than ourselves. We're building something that outlasts all of us. We're building something that's so significant, you know, it's going to help the next generation do life better. And everything that we work for, everything that we fight for, I'm talking about in the heavenly realms, where we begin to see God's outpouring. If we don't pass this to the next generation, that dominion, that authority, it could miss them completely. And I don't know about you, but that's not what I've got in store for my kids. I want to see something passed to them. I want to do life in a community. I want to do life with people. I want to make disciples. I want to see people flourish in life. I want to see people do well in life. I don't want to see people isolated. I don't want to see people taking their own counsel, feeling horrible, being in a room full of people and being totally alone. Do you know the truth is, is that you may be set aside 
from birth, just like Paul was. That's what he said in Galatians. I was set aside from birth. You may be set aside from birth, but it was in community that you found your calling. It was in community that your skills were honed. It was in community that your calling was released. It was in community you were able to function the way that you are supposed to function. My suggestion to you this morning is simply go and do the same for someone else. Very simple. Community is a very important part of church. And I wanna be part of a kingdom community. I wake up in the morning on Sunday mornings. And when I come here, there's an element of me just thinking about what I've got to say for the day, what I've got to preach through. You know what I'm really thinking? Honestly, I had this thought today, I can't wait to see our people. It's not about us. It's not about just the church is broader than that, but that's how I felt because I love being part of this community. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.